0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: As early in the game as possible, you go from just taking that note to making a note, making a comment and insight. How often are you adding your thoughts on the spot? Something that shorthand That is helping you actually engage and say why you're interested. Maybe it's just disagree, you know, like you bracket something and you say disagree. One I like is called the primal shout. If this inanimate concept could shout, utter a single line or phrase, what would it say? And that's a really fun way for us to sense make around the material that we're using. We're making deep neural connections, deep neural connections that are going to help us remember, recall. Now we can actually start to apply these things. Isn't that why we read nonfiction? So the more that we can engage in this material, the more it's going to become a part of us. Now when we communicate, that's going to be from you. That's going to be from Srini. That's going to be from Nick. It's going to be a unique perspective that I fucking care about. Not just another stupid-ass summary.
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Nick, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. So happy to be here. Yeah. So I actually have heard of your name repeatedly from clients who took my Maximize Your Output course. Also, Tiago Forte recommended you and you had been on my list of people to reach out to for a long time as somebody who I know has a very transformative way of looking at how we deal with information in the world that we live in today. But before we get into that, I wanted to start asking what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact has that ended up having on where you've ended up and, and what you've ended up doing with your career?
1: Ooh, great question. Hey, thank you. And I'm just so, so honored to be here. Um, I would say I, this is actually really particular. So I was a part of, you know, like the jocks. I was a part of the jocks, but I was never happy with that. And it's actually in, uh, sixth grade that my oldest brother, he was a senior in high school at that time and he had a birthday party. And at that time, I, my whole life is sports. All I care about is the NBA, the NFL. And, um, and he brought over these kids and, and some of them, um, didn't play sports. And it like kind of blew my sixth grader mind. And I said, like, Steve, you have friends that don't play sports. I know this seems you know, kind of ridiculous, but at the time it, it really did. And he goes, yeah, all well, your friends don't have to play sports. And just Steve as a role model, then um, I always tried to uh, bake that into my relationship. So yeah, I mentioned the jock group, but I also had the the Halo club. And so, you know, I'd go over to to uh, Curtis's house and we'd sit downstairs on the giant beanbag and we'd be playing Halo split screen, the original. And, uh, you know, just trying to get into different groups. And then there was another group that I wouldn't say it was my normal club, but when everyone recognized that, Hey, you're only five, nine, you can't shoot. You shouldn't be playing basketball anymore. All I could do was wear short shorts and play intense defense. That's all I had. Um, but then they're like, you should wrestle. And I was like, I know I should, but I don't want to. So I, I, um, chose to join speech and debate, which is, you know, way out of left field, nothing that anyone in my family had done. Um Well, let me, and actually, no, no, again, that's because my oldest brother, Steve did, so he planted a seed that I could do something else. So I ended up doing speech and debate, uh, making a lot of great friends, opening a lot of new like avenues about thinking. So I, just naturally, it was the jock group because I was into sports. I love sports. And I took that very seriously. It was a joy. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to make sure to have different social groups.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about sports for a bit, because like, I was one of those people who high school sports was just kind of off the table for me because I grew up in Texas and in seventh grade, there are you know, people the size of grown men. After getting a hell beat out of me <laughs> on the football field for an entire season, I came to the conclusion that I was not destined for any sort of athleticism in high school. I was in marching band, which you get sport PE credit for. Uh, and mm-hmm. it is a tremendous amount of exercise if you carry on a 50 pound tuba. Um, yeah. but one of the things I find pretty repeatedly with the guests I've had is this theme of, of people who are on high school sports teams and the things that they have learned having a profound impact later on, like Tim Ferriss references his high school wrestling coaches, one of the most in, influential people in his life. And he said, everybody from that team went on to do amazing things like the founder of, um, what is that educational nonprofit, um, uh, Khan Academy. Khan Academy, I remember uh, uh, DonorsChoose.org, Charles Best, uh, was on Uh, Tim Ferriss' high school wrestling team. Uh, So what is it about high school sports? Like for you, what were the things that you learned that you think have been sort of timeless that you've brought forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's take it back to eighth grade. So, um, or maybe even seventh grade. I was kind of middle of, of the pack and then going from seventh to eighth grade, I started to jog from my house to the high school old gym weight room and lift with the high schoolers. And, uh, my buddy and I, we'd meet there. We're both, you know, these seventh graders going in eighth grade when we could barely lift at all, uh, or anything, but we just started putting in the work. And so that was the entire summer. And then in eighth grade, I saw the fruits of that labor immediately. Like, okay, now all of a sudden I was the starting tailback for one of the the middle school teams. And so basically what that did right out of the gates, Especially when you're young, you know you have that all the testosterone and everything, so you you see results. So it instills a growth mindset out of the get go. It's like, okay, I want something, I can work at it, I see immediate results. Isn't this great? So, um, and just to track back a little bit, I grew up in a military family. My dad was an airport uh, Air Force pilot, and um, so we had structures and rigidity in place that I was not even aware of at the time. It was just what I knew. So I was well aligned to work well with teams in a sporting capacity, knowing my role, knowing to listen to the coach. Now there was a really important pivot point in the eighth grade though, because um, my buddy and I, for whatever reason, we decided to like play hooky on track practice, like skip pra- practice, but still like stay on the school grounds. And then we were like hiding. I don't know what we were thinking, but eventually one of the track coaches saw us. And then we had a report to the uh, the uh big intimidating guy, Coach Egan. And he brought us into the room. He closed the door and he just sighed. And he said, you know, you're lucky because you're in here and I still care. But if this happens again, there's going to come a time where people stop caring. And that's when you know that you're screwed. And I just never forgot that. And I was just like, what am I doing? Why am I, like, what, why am I skipping? Um, and so there's like this inflection point where everything was going right. But then I was like kind of flirting, maybe just making things like dangerous to see what that felt like. I was like, no, I love this growth path that I'm on. So I just went back into that. And those type of lessons though, are I think what just, you know, understanding you can grow from this. You can see the results and you can learn great lessons about not just how to be a a, a better physical athlete or anything, but how to be a better human and leader of men, hopefully.
0: Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what struck me most about what you said was that you saw the fruits of your labor almost immediately. And that's not necessarily the case with most things in adult life. I mean, take, (laughs) you know, sort of the life of an entrepreneur, creative or, or knowledge worker, right? Our careers don't work that way. Adult life doesn't work that way. And that's that bridging like having that sort of patience to wait to see the fruits of your labor. I mean, shit, I'm going through it right now with my own knowledge management and AI work. Like I know that I've been basically putting in work, you know, publishing videos and I'm like, okay, you know, where is the, you know, where are the fruits of the labor? I mean, they're there, but not to the degree I'd like them to be. And like, I wonder, you know, when you think about this now as an adult, how do you think about that idea?
1: Absolutely. I feel that we are on the rails through, uh, most high school and college experiences. I recognize that college is a little bit different in today's generation than it was even back, um, in the early, in the early to mid aughts for me. Um, but we're on rails. There's a, a set of rules to follow structure and all that vanishes once you're done with uh, education, whatever that level is and you have to go into the real world and that plays by a different set of rules the problem with these rules are like you were mentioning they they're not clear they're not obvious they're not just oh i do this and then i immediately see that they're kind of there they're fuzzy and there are so many of them it's a complex system that even when we think we understand it one day then the next day we're upside down again and the world's back on top of us so i think yeah that's that's where that dynamic really breaks down but hopefully Oh, you know, some of the habits that were instilled in those years of order and structure and all you have to do is show up, focus, put in the work and then rinse, rather lather and repeat the next day. Um, you can at least take some of those um, lessons, I think, into the real world. And where I see that really coming in is with, um, I think that growth mindset as a belief in adult life that even if it's not immediate, There's now a belief. I know this can lead to something. I know, you know, kind of uh, touching upon that fail fast mindset, but like, even if it doesn't work, I know I'm working towards something. And just to button it up, it's the joy of the process. I just love the process. I fell in love with it and in, in any undertaking. Yeah, I like outcome too. Don't get me wrong. I love the process.
0: Yeah. Looks well, let's talk briefly about speech and debate, because I think that'll make a nice tie to bring us to the work that you're doing today. I, I imagine there's some valuable lessons in, you know, communication, preparation. Um, talk to me about that and then, you know, connect it to how it leads to where you're at today.
1: Yeah, sure. So I was, I was in a honors English class in, in high school and that was kind of around that wrestling decision. And some of those guys were like, you should, you know, you should try, join us, join speech and debate. I was like, hmm, maybe I will. Um, and I gave it some thought and then the time came and I did that. And so going from kind of being in a way at the top of the food chain in sports to (laughs) at the bottom in speech and debate. Um, it was, it, it wasn't humbling. I didn't need to be humbled at that time, but it was really eye opening. It was, it was kind of like a new challenge. And all of a sudden, you know, um, my, my peers in English class were the ones I was looking up to. Uh you know chase Moni he did uh extemporaneous and I joined extemporaneous too, and he was really good so extemporaneous is um essentially where you get a topic and then you have thirty minutes you don't know you don't know anything about what this topic's going to be, probably something about world events, and you have thirty minutes to research it, and then you have to deliver a speech in five to seven minutes now that research this is you know you don't have a phone i i didn't we didn't have phones back then um you have to have clipped articles from magazines like the economist and newsweek and hopefully you have an article about the new zimbabwe president who just <laughs> <laughs> uh, was thrust into power after a coup because if not those 5 to 7 minutes are going to be really painful where you're trying to give a speech about him um so that that was just uh throw into the fire learn so much and just really enjoyed uh that process of not being good. And um, that finished with um the furthest I got was in the final um event of the year, and I made it to the semifinals, semifinals. And that was like the biggest victory. It was just a small event. There it wasn't like two people made it, tons of people made the semifinals. But for me, I was like, wow. <laughs> like just to make it out of the first uh round of cuts was a, a great victory. So I just really enjoyed um, everything to do with the the speech and debate experience.
0: Well, I mean, just from listening to you describe that process of having to research a topic, um, you know, in a short amount of time with limited resources, no Internet, no phone. It makes me think that, okay, there that seems to uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this has to have had a profound impact on your thought process and frameworks around synthesizing and processing knowledge to make it useful. So talk to me about mm-hmm. how you arrive at this entire concept of linking your thinking. Because I feel like just from hearing you describe that, I feel like there has to be a connection between that and linking your thinking.
1: That's funny, I haven't really considered that, um, but it's there for sure. Yeah. So linking your thinking is uh, essentially, I was making, I've been making a lot of notes, and eventually tools came around, That you could link notes to other notes, digital notes. And, uh, eventually the tools got good enough where you could do that really fast. Mm -hmm. And, and then so the big breakthrough was in, in 2020 for me. And I was trying to consolidate all my notes on habits. So I have notes from attending different talks in like, uh, Brooklyn. I lived in New York for just a few years and then, um, you know, different books going back to like, you know, Charles Duhigg's power of habit. And then, you know, some of the newer ones and obviously James clears, uh, had a few notes in there. And, um, but I never, never did this next thing where I grabbed all those notes and put them in the same room together, or in this case into a single note. Yeah. And I didn't have to put all the text in there. I could just put in a link to that note and then. Uh, okay, great. So number one, that made me feel calm calm and under control. Like I'd collected all, this, all these notes into a single spot. But I wasn't expecting what happened next. And that was it started to force, compel, catalyze me to think and ask questions in a way that I had never been able to systematize before. I was like, how does this note relate to that note? Which one goes first? Should I combine these two? What are they really trying to say? What's missing? and that was an in ex- a cambrian explosion of creativity of generative thinking and i was like i am onto something let me go to the rooftops and literally shout at the top of my lungs what this is all about yeah.
2: why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same
3: thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at have Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
0: Well, so you know, it's it's funny. I love the setup for this because when you mentioned this ability to link notes, like I found this was such a hard concept to get people to grasp over and over. Like, uh, because even you know, when students come into my maximize your Outlook course, that one idea is one of the things that it sounds amazing in theory, but in practice, it's so difficult because I think that what we don't realize is so often, like we've spent our entire lives using linear structures for nonlinear mm-hmm. processes. Like if you think about, for example, you're going to the book proposal process right now. Then the whole idea that we would do this in a linear order actually makes absolutely no sense because I'll tell you the thing that unlocked all of this for me was Jennifer Laden, when mm-hmm. she told me that your structure has to be linear your process doesn't. And like the kinds of tools you're talking about, the kinds of things you're saying, actually facilitate that ability at a level we've never had before. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like it's one of those things for people like, when you try to describe network thinking and this idea, like for you, like I came up with a metaphor. I'm curious. Like I, I realized it's basically playing Mad Libs with your personal notes was the was best metaphor good. I could come up
1: with. Yeah, I like that.
0: Um, But so tell me kind of like, you know, when we when look at it in the context of like, you know, Para and Tiago Forte's second brain, like I know there's a much more detailed thought pro- processing framework here behind this be that goes beyond linkability, but Explain the value of that linkability to people because I realized that was very difficult to see until you had a certain number of notes, and the idea mm-hmm. of going from pure linear structures to nonlinear thinking creates so much cognitive dissonance because we've done everything linearly our whole lives
1: hmm yeah well let's let's try to explain the value together because it isn't quite easy um, first, we need to have experienced pain around knowledge or information overwhelm and we've had to have had experienced that multiple times going back to you know the high school and for those who take secondary education college whatever you are on um, guided rails there's a structure for you once you get into the real real world outside of these these structures then information comes in you don't know what to do with it should i save this what should i do with that the feeling over and over again is one of overwhelm. Um, and if, if we don't figure it out, it's going to be crippling overwhelm. And so a lot of people, they're searching for answers to this overwhelm. Some of them say, you know, become a Luddite, move to the hills um, and, you know, abscond technology, say no to technology. And then others might have some idea in between. Um, But there, there is a way to play well with technology. Um, but it's a little difficult. So I think overall what makes link, linking difficult is that one, it's new. Like you said, we are used to folders. We're used to boxes, containers, linear thoughts. And now we have a whole new playground to work in. That's nonlinear thinking. So in editing, um, they're nonlinear editors. Like I have, I, I edit in TV. Um, and you can, you know, you can edit scene one and then go to scene 40 and then scene 15. You can mix and match. You can go all over the place. This is nonlinear editing. Now we have that for our think, thoughts in a digital form. Zooming out though, let's, let's just say what it is. This is closer to how we naturally think. Mm-hmm. Now we just have the tools to make it visible and shapeable for us yeah um so yeah that, well, that's yeah. a start
0: <laughs> I mean, I, the, the metaphor is you know mad libs was a metaphor that i finally i was able to explain this i literally used that to frame the exercises in my course because that was the hardest thing to teach was okay making connections between ideas i was like it's just mad what mm-hmm. you're doing it with your notes but the major difference <laughs> here is that you also are able to capture ideas like the This was one thing I think when you think about networks, one is the notion that your brain is a network, not a hierarchy, because in your brain, like you said, you have one. So, for example, I literally asked you about high school. Think about how easily you could recall all those details. There was no effort in doing that. And Mm. I think what linking does is it basically does that for knowledge, but also allows you to retrace the thought process that sparks an idea as opposed to, hey, here's a thought and then you go back to it a month later, you're like, why the hell did I think this? I don't even know what this is about. Like, funny enough, like you have these placeholders that are completely empty, like you'd never create a folder with no files in it. But links are really different in that sense, because to your point, they're, they're mirroring a network, this, this, the nodes that are very much like the nodes in your brain.
1: hmm. They are. And it depends what somebody's doing. Not everybody needs, I like to think they would benefit from, you know, these cool uh, digital linked systems. I like to call them the idea verse. Like when you have connected notes, that's your idea verse. Um, but whatever that is, not everyone needs that. Mm-hmm. But if you have it and if you have the needs for that, maybe it's just to overcome information overwhelm. Maybe it's because I mean, the reason I really got into it, I, t- I told you that story about get, getting the habits together, but um, prior to that, I'd come back from. Well, I, I use notes for multiple purposes, but the one right before that was I was editing on TV shows and after a long 12 hour day, you know, these productions are long, I'd come back and I would just jump, jump into my notes and like make new collections or gatherings of the notes I already had. Cause I had thousands of notes and that was like the most soothing and grounding um, thing that I was doing. It was like a form of self therapy where I was just trying to like find connections And again, like for the, for the hyper productivity, um, cultists out there, like what, like, where's the output from that? But no, that was, that was the result. Uh, you know, that was thinking for the sake of it, for the joy, for the, the, just There's sense-making going on. And so even if it's not obvious what this is going to lead to, it's going to lead to a, a mind that's able to be more capable of doing whatever it needs to next.
0: Yeah. I'll come back to the, not everybody needs this with a counter argument, but let's first, yeah. and I'll tell you my, my, you know, thesis behind that because it's very related to the age of AI, which I think we'll get to. So explain the framework to me, like as we think about any piece of information, because to your point, like for me, the necessity was I had, like the joke I'd always said was, you know, if I could actually put the advice of all my guests, into action in my life, I'd be a billionaire with six pack abs and a harem of supermodels and I'm none of those things. Uh, but it just got me thinking about how much advice do we get in, you know, something like a podcast? Like how much useful information do we get that we forget and are never able to apply? So break the framework down for me when we think about it from say the context of a, a book. Um, break the framework for me down and then let's look at it in different contexts.
1: Let's call the framework ARC. So we're going to do three steps. Yes, it's nonlinear, but we're just going to break it down to three steps, and then we'll we'll use this framework. ARC. It stands for add your ideas, relate your ideas, communicate your ideas. Now, the reason I say your ideas each time is because that's the crucial difference. We have to immediately, at the point of contact, to anything that sparks with you, immediately go from Collecting to creating from note taking to note making. That is the key here is we're trying to make active, engaged individuals. That, that's what I'm about. And so you say you're listening to this podcast, hopefully, or, you know, other ones and something sparks. So here's what I say. Hmm. That's interesting. And then immediately the habit that I drill is because, hmm, that's interesting because. It makes me think of this and whatever you say after the because it doesn't matter. You've now leaned forward. You're now sitting up and you're engaging, wrestling with the idea that you found interesting. So that's it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, I, I love the, the fact that you could boil it down to that that level of simplicity, because just thinking about it, uh, let, let's actually talk specifically about your distinction between note making and note taking. And I love that like because piece, because I'm like, oh, because what you're doing is you're simplifying the and down to that one sentence. Yeah, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, I think that that makes so much sense. Um, but let's let's talk about this idea of note making versus note taking, because I think that's such a critical distinction. Um, and that is the thing that became so obvious to me from learning how to take smart notes. Like when I, I went through Sankaran's book and I started applying this stuff, I thought to myself, wow, the amount of information I have that is based on books and based on insights I've gotten from other people written in my own words is like it's thousands and thousands of notes but I think the other part of that is what it does in terms of sparking your own original insight based on standalone insight based on reading so talk talk me about the importance of that because I think in our education Mm -hmm. system we don't learn that nobody Mm -hmm. taught me ever how to take notes like that or, or use it to study so give me the the rundown like what is How, when we look at it from a standpoint of the utility of information, why is that aspect of this so critical?
1: Yeah. I mean, let's zoom out. Since we could write throughout 90% of written history, we had note makers. We had people making notes, writing down their ideas. Yeah, you had the monks and, you know, the the people who were transcribing great works as part of their rituals. Let's let's put them aside because, you know, that was like their job to do that. For the most part, we have people who are reading other people's work throughout history and they're not, there was no way to easily capture or clip entire articles or books. So they had to write out some section of it and transform it into their own words. Uh, the best example of this is, is like Charles Darwin. How did he come up with his theory of natural selection? He was a note maker and he was looking in all sorts of different fields from his um, brother-in-law, who was um, the leader of a ph- philology, a language institute in in England. And uh, so he learned that, oh, this is an established theory, language e- evolution, and it's well accepted by people. So hmm, maybe I can use a bit of that in how I explain my theory. Oh, what's this about variations of roses or variations of pigeons? I can use that. What's this about population being a selecting factor from Malthus? So he was taking all these different enterprises, all these different fields and domains and making notes around that. And it was only, and only at a specific time that all this stuff that was compiling finally emerged into the theory that he would share so this is idea emergence really and and that's what i one of the things i'll kind of stand up and say is i know there's like this this idea that oh you, you know you want to write a book so you have ideas that diverge and then you converge it's like well maybe but if you really zoom out what's happening is there we're in this primordial soup of ideas we encounter so many and some of them continue to inform us like my speech and debate um, example that you brought up, that's still informing me today. And that one thing might somehow be a thread, a through line into some of my greatest works if I'm lucky enough to still put together some cool things. Um, And that's the emergence of ideas. So uh, just to put a pin on it, that's note-making. People throughout history putting down their own thoughts and not just copying um collecting, capturing the thoughts of others. But at the point of contact, they're putting down their own thoughts on why they're saving something. It's only since the industrial revolution and particularly since the information age that we've gone from a society of note makers to a society of note takers. And it's kind of like the obesity epidemic, but in this case, we can call it like the over-collection or over-consuming epidemic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you, you mentioned convergence di- divergence because like I'm thinking about Tiago or our mutual friend and how, mm-hmm. I, like when I looked at that whole chapter, when he described that concept of code, right, it was capture, organize, distill and express. I looked at it and I realized I was like, the thing that people are going to do is they're going to interpret it as I do this in this order. And I was like, actually, no, this all is a cycle. Every one of these things infuses the other.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. It, and and I've, that's what's so great about like the richness of the knowledge management space is we might have different takes on something similar. Um, and both takes can be completely, it can both work for depending on what somebody's attempting to do. Um, and, and I think that process is a bit more linear and a little bit more output oriented mm-hmm. and achieves great results. Um, and I think this more emergent link based process can still be output driven but doesn't have to be. So it's a more nonlinear. It probably speaks to um, creative projects and a little bit more complex projects where it really helps people out.
0: Yeah.
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact
0: It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level, too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, let's let's actually take this ARC idea. And we talked about the adding piece. Talk to me about the R and the C pieces of it. And then what I want to do is start to actually apply it to specific real world scenarios.
1: Oh, I love that. Okay. So arc, so we kind of talked, add your ideas, like at the point of contact, try to say, because doesn't matter what you say next, but now, um, you, we might say you're moving from spark to remark. Now, once you have that remark, the next thing is to relate it. So remark to relate. And so there, one, when we make a remark, like nice. we're we are already relating it, but now we're trying to think like, what does this relate to? Why is this important to me? When well, we can ask a bunch of, I would call them like entry-level note-making prompts, um, Mad Libs that you're talking about. Like we're going to make this our own. We're going to write it in our own words and we're going to answer these prompts. Now, uh, one of those might be, what is this a part of? And then you might link to a higher order note that we might call a map of content. And that's going to be that place where we can gather related ideas. And, uh, and that's where it gets interesting. So that's that relate phase. And the best shorthand for that I have is CNC, which is collect and cluster. And this is the simplest way to make the magic happen with linked notes. First, We feel overwhelmed. Well, let's call it the mental squeeze point. What do we do? Spin up a map, make a map, and we throw all that stuff into a single spot. Now all we have to remember is that single spot, that map. Okay, now we go there. Later, the next day, next week, next month, and we start, uh, now that everything's collected, we can start clustering things, grouping them in into tightly, tight clusters. And that's where the magic happens. Because just like a bunch of people trying to file into an elevator, there's tension. Or like any good story, there's tension. And what does tension require? It it requires resolution. And so once we see those clusters, our mind goes on overdrive because it's like, I need to resolve this. That shouldn't be before that. That's driving me nuts. You mentioned uh your uh, ADHD, I believe. And, uh, you're like, Yo, I'm not sure if you're serious or not, but it's yeah, like yeah, hey, yeah. I mean, that, network that, thinking
0: is a goldmine for somebody with ADHD. It's like the best thing ever.
1: Okay. And, and, but sometimes then like if you see something and I might be speaking out of turn, but you might be like, ah, that's so out of place. I have to move it above the other note or there's something that goes in between. So it is forcing compelling those great thoughts to happen. Just the mm-hmm. cluster itself. Yeah. Um, so that's part one of the cluster. And then I'll just finish with the, the clustering with this part is that between those clusters there's negative space there's tension there and that's where we can map that gap and then generate new insights the bridge between different clusters of thought and that and then we're off to the races
0: okay well, let's let's it's funny because somebody mentioned this MOC idea to me uh, one of my own clients i um, so when you call this a map of content is it well, so for example let's actually use a practical example so I have, a you know, like interviews with people who've written books on decision making. I have their books on decision making. So I have their transcripts, I have interviews, and then all the other books I've read, and then probably hundreds of, of related notes. So let's just using that as an example. Is a map mm-hmm. of content topic based? Is it project based? Like, how, how does that look in, in terms of like, a, you know, when we actually put it into practice?
1: I would say it skews to be more topic based. So you might start by collecting all that stuff. And you might say to yourself, well, what's the difference between a map of content and a regular index? And sometimes they're going to look similar. The difference though, with how fast these tools are nowadays is that it's not just a map of content. It is a mapping note it means that we, we do our thinking in that note. Now we're moving note, like the links to other notes around. We're annotating. We're saying, should this be before that? And we're asking all those great questions again. So the map of content allows us to do three things, which is we gather ideas, we develop ideas, and then we can kind of, and then we can connect those ideas to our broader holistic uh, knowledge-based system, like the, the idea verse, your knowledge management, your second brain, whatever it is, but you can connect that stuff to a broader picture. So that middle chunk though, is the part where, again, I have to shout, shout at the top of the rooftops or I have to go up there and, and say, it's not just an index. Mm-hmm. And the problem, the reason I have to say that so much is because when when I show it visually online, people just see what appears to kind of look like an index. Yeah. They don't see the work that's being done. And so I have to go to extra effort to be like, it looked like this, and then it was this, and then I did this, this spark happened, this was generated, and then this. And so they can see, oh, whoa, it's a thinking tool. And so that's, oh. that's one of the big things the big unlocks I try to help uh, people with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about this in terms of my own notes. Like I'm just thinking about that decision-making idea. It's like, oh, so basically, even though I have hundreds of notes on decision-making, the map of content would be sort of like the central hub where all the other notes are also connected to it.
1: And how fun would that be? Seriously, if you gathered all those notes there and used that as your synthesis chamber, you're just... You're just like, okay, I'm gonna like make sense of all these notes and put them into a structure that makes sense for me. And then I can come back to this months, years later and I'll know exactly where I need to go. And just about a minute, I'll remember everything I need to. Um, I just, it's so much fun. It's thinking for the sake of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about this. Like, it's like, oh wow, if I had a a map of content dedicated entirely to knowledge management, anytime we wanted to reference notes specific to, you know, something for my course or tutorial ideas i wouldn't have to basically search through the other notes i'd have that one note as the sort of hub of all of it
1: that's true and there are a couple of best practices there and so one that people then think is oh wait do, do now is this a manual thing i have to upkeep that doesn't sound like fun do i have to always always like add the link to this map or else i won't find it no um there are a couple reasons why why not um when you have a good map and again with these these tools All you need is for that random note to point to the map. And then what we do is, yeah, and and you know this, uh, and I'll do my best to articulate it out loud. But then when you go to that map note, you can look into um, a section called backlinks or linked mentions, and it will show you everything that points to the map. And so again, you have your single source of truth, that one hub that you just go to and you know you'll find that thing.
0: So let's, let's do one more thing with this linking piece because I'll tell you this was the game changer for me and it made me realize a couple of things. Sonka Aarons had talked about this linking idea of smart notes in the Zettelcast and he said, yeah, like it's fun to link all this stuff together. He said, but the real power starts to come in when you're able to embed the title of a note in a sentence in another note. And that completely changed. I was like, oh my God, I'm like literally inside of a network, there's nothing more important than how you title a note. Because then even empty notes, so I had a note titled make connections between your ideas that was literally linked to hundreds of other notes and it had nothing <laughs> in it. You know? um, yeah. Yeah. So, that you know, I, I think that that's, that's one of those things because I think that the temptation for a lot of people is, hey, let me just, you know, collect links and add links to this thing. It's about, I think that, you know, the temptation is like, oh, it's just connecting notes to each other, but it's really not. It's more about connecting ideas than it is connecting notes.
1: Yes, absolutely. Those are some really good points that are easy to miss that you brought up. And it is connecting ideas, and it, and what it, it's doing is it's it's forcing us. Oops, hold on. Can you still hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. My screen went asleep. Um, it's forcing us to, to to just be so active in our thinking, like we are. We are there. We're the sculptor. We're the person like leaning forward. We're making the most of our mind. Uh, and so that's that, and that's because we're connecting the ideas, like you said. Um, but yeah, a couple of things there is you can link to a note without having to create it. And you know, we need to give ourselves that permission. And it's like a little dot out there in this wide constellation that we're making. And it means something to us. It's like a reference point, a tiny little pillar, maybe in the ocean. Um, and we can navigate around that and, and when we're ready, yeah, then we can formalize creating that placeholder note into a real note and we'll see, whoa, whoa, looks like I already have all these 20 links, a hundred links. I can now write something out of this if I wanted to. It looks like it's earned its existence.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like we've covered the A- which is sort of the, the ad phase, it's, we've covered the remark phase, which I think is creating the map of content. So where do we go from here? Like, what's the next piece of this? Like, how does this get used? And then we'll, we'll look at uh, a very like tangible example.
1: Yeah. So, so after the relate phase, I'd like to say relate to communicate. Um, And the way that we pull that off is uh, for one, when you have a map, when you've been working in this higher order note, you're 80% of the way there. What there is, is up to you. It's like, what are you trying to do? You might not know it yet, but when you're ready for that thing, you're 80% of the way there. Now it's just about finding the forcing function.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what's going to force you into an output? Now a lot of people will be like, Oh, I already know what I want to do. Great. That's, you know, that's your output, but if that's not always clear. And I, I would like to stress that it shouldn't always be clear. Um, but this is kind of a way to. I don't know, hedge your bets, build optionality. You're building intellectual assets that you don't know how you're going to apply. But when you're ready, you're like, Oh, I know now I'm going to do this thing. Okay. You're 80% of the way there with your map. Now find that forcing function. You're going to do this. Next one is, uh, fit the form. So fit the form. What, what is that form? Do you know what it, what it looks like? If it's a newsletter, email newsletter, there's a certain form. Uh, to that, or if it's a, a tweet, there's a certain form. Um, a YouTube video essay that has a certain form. So you can go from that map, which is your intellectual capital, and then you can convert, transform that into the form that it needs to fit. Um, and then along with that is move to the medium. So with that last 10%, I move to the actual medium of expression. And so if that is again the email newsletter, I'm not writing the whole thing in my tool of choice, which is Obsidian, I'm not writing it in the note to 100% because that's not the form, that's not the, the medium of expression. It's going to be an email that other people read. So I need to go to that. Like the comedian's not going to write, you know, not going to deliver their presentation in Obsidian. They're going right. to go on stage. So moving to the medium is, is, is truly important. And then there are a couple next level things with communicate, but those are really the the main ones that help people go from the abstract into the delivered.
0: Yeah. Well, so you mentioned a phrase over and over again, which is this idea of intellectual capital. Um, so before we, and I want to come back to that because it, it ties to my counter argument to not everybody needs this. I think mm-hmm. that's not going to be the case more and more, and I'll tell you why. But Let's mm. look at this through one, say, practical example. Let's do two. One, taking notes on a book, and then basically using your intellectual capital to write a blog post. Maybe mm.
1: how mm-hmm.
0: would it? So how does that work when you're looking at it in this process?
1: I will talk first about the common process and say that there's nothing wrong. About that process at face level, and then talk about why <laughs> it, there is something wrong. <laughs> why it actually about it. sucks. Yeah, <laughs> and i will say why it sucks, <laughs> and then then I'll propose a different way to go about it, and then listeners, you figure out your balance between the two because there probably is a balance. Okay, the normal approach is I'm going to read this book from front to back. I'm going. It, let's imagine it's digital. I'm going to take highlights. I'm going to use the service Readwise. Then I'll have all those highlights. Then I'll go back through and I'll um. I'll progressively narrow down the highlights and then I'll just summarize that work. Great. You and thousands of others can do that process and it's going to look eerily similar and you'll have a summary of somebody else's book. That is not, not valuable. So what I'm trying to say is there's a lot, of, there's still value to that. It depends on what your goals are. Um But all those goals I'm going to argue with the other method can be enhanced even further hey, let's say your goal's just to learn. It's going to be enhanced further by this next method. Um, if your goals are to reach more people, it's going to be enhanced further by this next method because it's going to be more unique. So the other method is that what we've been talking about, as early in the game as possible, you go from just taking that note, because that's what a highlight is, to making a note, making a comment, an insight. You can still make a highlight but right next to that, how often are you able to add a comment, which Readwise as a service also allows for, and so do many others. But um, how often are you adding your thoughts on the spot? And I'm not saying that we're writing paragraphs. That's not sustainable. You know, you have to get through a 400-page book. You can't write a paragraph for each highlight you make. But something, that shorthand that is helping you actually engage and say why your interest, maybe it's just disagree. You know, like you bracket something and you say, disagree. Um, you can come back to that later. But the goal is that we want to start working with these ideas because when we do, we're going to start generating our own thoughts using the note making prompts and those map making prompts that we talked about. We're going to say, this really, this reminds me of blank. This relates to blank. It's important to me because of this. We're asking all these because questions and some other like fancy fun ones, Mad Lib related. One I like is called the primal shout. If this inanimate concept could shout, utter a single line or phrase, what would it say? So for like anti-fragility, which is a hard concept to kind of grasp, mm-hmm. then for me, I say stronger from stressors. That's what it would shout. Stronger from stressors. Um, Kind of like house words in Game of Thrones. And that's a really fun way for us to sense make around the material that we're using. Is that the only thing? No, we're actually learning the material better. We're making deep neural connections, deep neural connections that are going to help us remember, recall. Now we can actually start to apply these things. Isn't that why we read nonfiction? I mean, usually it's not the story. It's usually we want to apply and use something. So the more that we can engage in this material, the more it's going to become a part of us. And now we can use that. And then I'll just finish by this. That means that when we get to communicating the last part of arc, because we've done all the adding our own ideas, we've been relating these ideas, which spark new ideas and we relate those ideas. Now when we communicate, that's going to be from you. That's going to be from Srini. That's going to be from Nick. It's going to be a unique perspective that I fucking care about. Not just another stupid ass summary. Like, Sorry, I'm getting a little riled up. But like, that's where it's like, we don't need more regurgitators in the world. We need the US you out there. And that's what note making allows to be drawn out to be coaxed out and center stage the entire process.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about this idea of intellectual capital, because mm-hmm. earlier in the conversation, you said not everybody needs this. And I'm going to make a counter-argument for why. So I ended up writing this actually as a a blog post on Medium titled, the most valuable resource that creators have in the, you know, in the AI era. And I don't think this applies only to creators anymore. And it's basically a blend of a lot of what you've said, you know, Tiago Forte's ideas. And it was the idea is what I call the theory of personal knowledge capital. And the core idea of it is Mm -hmm. that in the era of AI, having a large repository of accessible knowledge is a massive competitive advantage because AI depends on human input and data. And in a network-based system, you know, what you call intellectual knowledge, and basically the way I think about what we call personal knowledge capital is um, a combination of accessible knowledge, personal insight, and individualized expertise that basically is generated as a result of all of this. The more Mm -hmm. of this you have, the more effectively you're going to be able to leverage it and the capabilities of AI without just producing derivative you know sounding ai generated content that in my mind is why this isn't just a thing that is you know relevant to people who are creators or writers it's in my mind basically what this intellectual capital or personal knowledge capital is for the individual it's what data is to huge Hmm.
1: yeah that well that is a really that is a good argument because um at the we we can then i mean if the ai like the best way that I'm preparing for AI, I guess, to, to respond to what you're saying is I'm writing a lot.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, because then my, <laughs> my AI, my AI friends can, can come along and say, Nick, you wrote about this here. It relates to this and they can help spur my exactly. memories and recollections. Yeah. Yes.
0: You, you hit the nail on the head. The, because the, the higher the quality of the input that you put into an AI system, the better it's going to be in terms of you being able to use its capabilities because it depends entirely on the data it has access to and basically what you put in in terms of your notes is that data
1: Mm -hmm. that's true yeah no notes you know what do you have there it's like yeah yeah, so sometimes people like i can't make a map of content and then we find out oh they only have like five notes in their new (laughs) knowledge management system it's like you don't have the content you
0: can't make the map yeah, I mean, it, it basically, in my mind, underscores the importance of knowledge acquisition. It Because you know, I think that there's this idea that, oh, this is going to basically eliminate the need for us to learn and, and, you know, do things. And I'm like, no, it actually tremendously enhances the importance of all of this um, in so many ways that we are honestly, in my mind, just overlooking completely.
1: You know, I agree with that. And I, I think we may be somewhat of a similar age and I, I feel grateful for that age just to kind of see because I'm a little worried about Gen Z because they might get the wrong, um, they might pick up the wrong habits around this and, and they might mm-hmm. not see the knowledge acquisition. They'll see the Google search. They'll be like, Oh, I can write my paper this way. <laughs> um, th- they'll, they'll see the shortcuts and, and not recognize the deeper value that you've been talking about here with personal knowledge capital.
0: Well, I think that the other thing, particularly in a, a system that is linked, is that your intellectual capital or, or personal knowledge capital acquires, like, it operates on the principles of compound interest. And yeah. that, especially as it relates to the AI ability, like, I, I can't, you know, that's something I just hit over and over. But you mentioned, let's talk about education briefly, because I think this is something when I recently talked to Tiago about the para method, the second book that he did, he told mm-hmm. me they had third graders using para. So I'm guessing you've had educators in your course. Like mm-hmm. what do they say about this? Like how does it transform our both ability to educate? I think we've kind of hit on learning, but I think for students in particular, this is really important.
1: It is. And you know, the good news is there's still a, a bountiful frontier for us to progress on here. Um Now, obviously a, uh, well, maybe not obviously, but I, I teach um, workshops and the education part of this with live teaching, um, kind of a multimedia experience. Some of them are live Zoom sessions, some of them are online curriculum, community engagement. So that's a way for this learning experience to come alive. Um, but there is a bit of a learning curve to this because we come from a world of that top-down folder structure, and That makes sense. So you can set up, you know, those four folders and that's, that's pretty simple. You know, that's, that's simple and gets people going. Whereas when we need to use technology and links, we're so on the frontier. It's, it's ridiculous. So the best practices for teaching and everything are going to take several years to trickle down and trickle across into colleges first and then high schools and then elementary, not to say it's going to be linear, but just in how it's kind of how the upkeep is going. Um one thing that I think will help there, Sereney, is your metaphor of mad libs and, and and my efforts around note making exercises as easy things that you can do at any time. It's like you're walking around in the world, you say you recognize when you go, huh, or hmm, or whatever that thing is that you do, your tick when you find something interesting. And then literally say, oh, that's interesting because that -hmm. becomes one of these note making exercises. If we can habitualize, it's going to give uh, students a leg up. So long story short, it's going to take several years, I think, for the institutions to really figure out best practices, the the trickle down of like how to teach to young kids and everything. Mm -hmm. But we can also just start. We can just start by figuring out how to get people to engage and then to write that down and make a link. And then the rest will start to take care of itself.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is also ties to sort of my own AI experiences have really been different in that. Like, I think that in a lot of ways, people do use AI as either a better Google or a glorified word processor. It's like, hey, extract all the quotes from this. And what I realized that was actually a thousand times more valuable was to engage in a discussion. Like, so for example, one of the things I'll do is I'll take a set of books uh, or, you know, I I came up with this idea of what I called the unstructured deep work session, where I Hmm. basically had the AI generate a template for me to initiate this. And the idea was on the days that I don't know what I want to write about, I want you to basically at random pull information from the knowledge base. Don't tell me what it is. Don't write about it ask me questions to engage with it. Um, mm. And I even, even when I do my daily reviews with that, I, I built a, a custom a GPT model that helps me like, you know, track progress towards my goal. And I do it all via voice, which is a whole other dynamic that has wow. turned into two and a half hour conversations, like with a custom GPT model uh, mm-hmm. that has led and went in all sorts of directions. And I think Having it asked you questions, because like I was, you know, I had it prepare a brief for my interview with you. And I, I was like, wait a minute, questions you're asking me about Nick and to explore are very relevant to my own work. Let's discuss this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that that in my mind is the ship. Cause right now I th- think the dynamic is very sort of one sided and command and control. We see it as a tool, not a partner.
1: Mm. Yeah. I think you're onto something. And, and what's funny is I think it's baked into the name. It's chat GPT. Um, but that doesn't mean that's how it's being used or thought about because if we do engage in that conversation, then, and that, and that's the most beautiful thing. Obviously you've, you've, okay. So you've taken it to another level. I think my level that I'm pretty happy with already is just that when I have to formulate the question, that forces me to, to understand so much more deeply the thing I'm even trying to ask. Uh, and then it's like, okay, that in itself is the victory. And then whatever comes back, great. Hopefully we can continue that conversation. Um, But yeah, you took it to the other level with having it prompt you with questions to go, you know, like, so it's a two-way street.
0: Well, not only that, it turns out that it's a rapid on-ramp into flow because like I looked at it mm. and I was like, wait a minute. I, I remember I got done and then immediately, like I went back to to uh, the conversation I was having either with Chad or Matt. I was like, wait a minute. You gave me three questions to answer. I just wrote 45 minutes for an introduction to an article. I'm like, I've never been able to do that with that much, that less effort. It's like, why did the questions mm. work? Which is it's ironic. I have an interview where I spend my time asking questions. And, like, and basically it was like, let's look, look at the cognitive benefits of being asked questions. Like, so when I do outlines now, I literally, even if I have AI outline it, I don't have it write it for me or suggest topics. I'm like, just ask, come up with a list of questions for me to answer.
1: Mm. That's really good. And one thing I, I continually noodle on is like, if I'm going to make something into a question or if I'm going to make something into a prompt, yeah. Um, subtle difference. So one would be like, you know, why is that interesting to you? And then the other would be, this is interesting to me because,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um so like for note making, I kind of skew towards the prompt, but yeah. outside of that, it's, you know, it's typically the question, but I, I just find that something fun that I'm playing with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I feel like even, you know, when I was talking to Tiago, like, actually, this, this will be a good good way to kind of wrap things up. Tell me, where do you see the overlap between, you know, building a second brain and what you do? And, and where does it differ? Like, in what ways mm-hmm. is it different?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, <laughs> let's see, there are probably a few angles. One is, is, his is definitely project first and then mine is idea first yeah. so i'd say building a second brain is um the because uh, there's the concept of second brain and but then there's um his methodologies so his methodologies are project first and then mine are idea first uh, with with linking your thinking um that being said it's not like his method doesn't come up with fantastic ideas and it's not like mine doesn't help with projects and efforts. So it's, it's just, that's number one. Um, I think it could be summed up with that method is more about progressive summarization. Mine is more about progressive ideation. Um, one, one will get you results is is focused on like outward results. And I think mine might be a little bit more about inward results. Kind of the idea that let's think for the, the joy of it. Oh, and guess what? From all that joyful thinking you've been doing, you're actually generating your best work at most valuable contributions to others. So it's kind of um a a long game approach to to outcome. Yeah. Um I, I think what's the other? There's probably another differentiation. I mean, linear, nonlinear, I I think that's a bit more of a linear approach, and I think linking your thinking. Yeah, it is way I I, I told
0: Tiago I was like you realize you left one huge chunk out of this book right he was like I know the network thinking piece yeah yeah like because the book I think while he was writing it all this was evolving so rapidly
1: and um, you know he's kind of lucky in that way because the network linking piece is so difficult it's so difficult to articulate to talk about what are the the universal patterns this is my endless obsession and what is like something that the tool is doing that's going to maybe be outdated, like a specific tool versus, you know, what is going to be, what's going to transcend the tool, but it's about the link. It's about the, the, the network, the non-hierarchical systems. What are those truths? Um, And then how can those be communicated to others in a way that's helpful towards them for them? Um So I think in, in many ways, I think he's kind of lucky to, to miss that because we're <laughs> on the forefront of it right now. And it, yeah. I, that's like my huge goal with my book is to popularize, um, linking one's yeah. thinking. So, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, like I said, it's, it's such a, a it, look, the amount of cognitive dissonance it creates is so like, it's funny because I understand everything you're saying because I actually experienced it. And it's really hard to grasp it. I think when people are hearing it or just reading about it, it's one of those things you literally have to see. It. All, all, not even seeing it, really. I think you have to experience it yourself.
1: That that that's the difficulty. So I, I and I think it starts with the you know like the pain. I'm not saying maybe with the, the elementary student level kids, maybe we can find a way to start with the joy. Um, but I think when you're an adult, it starts with uh, I'm feeling so much pain when it comes to information so much overwhelm, so much almost shame because I've been stopped on another project. I gave up on it. I feel bad about it. And maybe there's a different method out there that works more for me. So that's the adult perspective. But I do think to some of the questions that you brought up, there is a way to lead with the joy when it comes to younger students. They're not going to be clamoring for it but it can be brought to them and it can be more of that Mad Libs approach, perhaps.
0: Amazing. Um, Well, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to, I think, go to Dr. Seuss. He had that happy birthday poem. Happy birthday to you today. You are you are than you no one alive today you are you there is no one alive who is today you are you that is truer than true there is no one alive who is you or than you um i think what makes someone unmistakable is that they can tap into their you-ness. and if they can be the the their youest you that's that's when they're going to come alive and they'll be unmistakably them
0: beautiful well, um, yeah, I could have talked to you for hours about this. Uh, so I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share, sharing your wisdom and your insights with our Where can people find out more about you at uh, your work and everything else that you do?
1: The easiest way is linkingyourthinking.com. Um, you can also try that on YouTube and you'll see some videos that can introduce some of these link based concepts in the tool that I typically use called Obsidian. Uh, those would be the places.
0: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part?